Hello. Okay. Okay. Hey. Uh, <laughs> do I need this really? Yes, you do. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm Katie. Uh, I'm a member here at TGP. Um, I'm very nervous right now, so just bear with me. <laughs> um, I um, recently had the opportunity to go to um, Malava, Kenya. It's a very rural village in western Kenya. Um, and we went, that's our team up there. You can't really see me, but I'm up there, I promise. Um, uh, and that's just some of the kids on, we call The Rock. It's like a really special place at the children's home, which is called Tumaini. Uh, Tumaini means hope in Swahili. Um, so that's just uh, some of the little faces that, I don't know if you can really see them, but um, we get to do this through 127 Worldwide, which I don't know if some of y'all are familiar with that. Um, that organization, I know a lot of y'all know KB Thomas, who adopted Daisy through Acres of Hope in Uganda, and uh, 127 is also affiliated with them too. So, uh, and they base um, 127 off the scripture, James 127, uh, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's just, that's what they go by and they, they live it too. So. Uh, okay, so this is Rose Bagusu. She is the founder of Tumani Miles um, of Smiles Center, where um, the school is located and the children's home, um, and where 127 like they help them out so much. Um, it's been they've been with them now about 10 or 11 years, just helping them out um, through prayer through money through sending us over there um but rose is she's wonderful like the things that she shared with us while we were there like how she like the school came to be is just phenomenal um so yeah all right and this is um on the left is the child like part of the children's home and that's some of the kids that we just got to uh love on and hang out with and um in the children's home a lot of those kids are um just abandoned like they don't have a mom or dad so they are brought to rose by the government and like here take care of them okay um and some of them i learned too um one little girl that i got close with she told me that her mom and dad are alive but they live very far and they sent her to that school to live so that kind of i didn't understand that but i was like okay well there's a need there so they, they're fulfilling it um, and then, oh, sorry, go back. <laughs> and then on the right is the Tumani School. It's just um, some of the classrooms, they go by like baby class, pre-unit, class one, two, all the way through eighth class. And then after that, they, um, they go to high school, which is a really big deal over there. Like for us, I think like college is like the big goal, but um, over there, it's like high school is like, if you don't get in, it's very difficult to have a good life, good, you know, whatever they see is good. Um, and then you can't really tell, but there's like a big field in the back of the school picture where um, there's like donkeys and cows that would just hang out, and that was really fun to hang out with the kids there too. Uh, okay, and this is the where we stayed, like when guests come to, to serve Rose and the kids. Um, on the left is the, the home, 
And uh, on the right is like the living area where there's a lot of good moments in there. We get to like share as a team and um, talk about our day and like what the Lord had done in that day with us. Okay. All right. <laughs> I love this picture. Um, that's just some of the babies the, from the baby class uh, at Tumaini. Um But also I think too, like, you know, like you see things on TV like, kids in Africa, oh, you know, they must be so miserable, like, no, these kids are, like, joyful all the time, like, I'm like, ooh, I need that kind of joy in my life, um, oh, they're so sweet, okay, next one, <laughs> okay, um, so that's, uh, just some pictures from my time throughout there, um, and that first picture is, um, her name's Haley. She was also one of the team members. And uh, I want to say something about our team members, too. We come from all over, mainly the South. Um, but there were several from, like, Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana. Um, we even had one from Chicago come. And um, so it's just cool to see, like, where, like, how God isn't just stuck in one area. Like, he uses people from all over to go to like one place and just do things to further his kingdom. It's really cool. Um, and then in the middle of that little girl, her name's uh, Grace. She didn't talk very much. Uh, and then one night she was sitting on my lap and she started naming every child in the home. Just, I was like, look, like, and then in that home, I do want to say this. I think here we have a picture of like a children's home. It's not like a family unit, but like there. Like, it's a family over there. Those kids are taken care of. They're loved on. Um, they're fed meals every day. Um, the kids who don't stay in the Tumani Children's Home, who just go to the school, they live in the village, so they just walk home every day, and they walk to school very early. <laughs> they get up very early to go to school. So education is very important to them over there. Um, and that last picture, they were just doing my hair, so... They, they pull very tight. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Okay. <clears throat> All right. And so a big part of why we went was to um, Rose, who I, I talked about a minute ago, she loves widows. Like, she loves the kids, like, but, like, the widows have a special place in her heart throughout the village. And um, so a couple of days while we were there, we got to go hand out mattresses and food bags to widows in the in the area and it's very culturally acceptable over there that when you, the husband dies the mattress is buried with him signifying that the marriage is over the marriage bed along with it um, so a lot of those women were sleeping on floors or um, or they'd like lay newspaper down and one lady when we gave her a mattress and a blanket said she would sleep tonight and uh, I think that all kind of, like, we were all very quiet after that. It was just very humbling, and, like, none of us really expected that. Um, so, and that was in the corner. That was one lady that uh, wanted a picture. And I would, it's funny how they take pictures. They'll be smiling, and then they go to take a picture, and they're like, <laughs> like the adults mainly <laughs> but um and then the bottom picture is just another one of us um getting to serve on a widow um and a lot of them it was like language barriers too so we had rose to help us out and um just get to love on some people and that was really cool <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> and um, throughout our week or so there at uh, Tumani at the children's home every night, um, two of us would lead in a devotional. So that's um, the same Haley and I lead in ours and um, on the left. And we, uh, we talked about hope. We used um, uh, Tumani as their devotional that night. And then on the right, um, another big part of what we got to do when we were there was prepare the kids to um, celebrate their teachers. So like all week led up to like a teacher appreciation day on a Friday. And um, like we helped the kids with like prepare a poem, a song, a traditional dance, um, prepare food bags for all their teachers. But like on that day, we wanted the teachers to know like this is what the kids like have done for you. So we like stayed in the background and let the kids lead. And, um, but that was just a picture of us like helping the kids with the poem when they did really good, so. <laughs> okay, and that's, um, that's the Friday of the Teacher Appreciation Day and all the teachers and um, it was a very big deal to them to get those certificates. Like even just a piece of paper, they were like, like some of them would walk away holding it up like so proud and just um, humbled by it. So that was really cool to experience. Okay, and then another part of that same day was the kids able, were able to serve tea and uh, chapati, which is, I call it like a unpowdered beignet, like that's basically what it was, but um, they call it chapati, and uh, tea is a very big deal over there, uh, so the kids were able to serve their teachers in that way as well. And then um, we all like crammed in this like, this room at the school and watch War Room. And um, it was funny to like listen to the teachers' reactions to some of the parts, like, because it's a very like American movie. <laughs> and uh, it was just funny to hear them like watch. I don't know if y'all have seen War Room, but when the grandma or the older lady's getting like fired up, um, the teachers were loving that. They, they thought that was so cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, and this was probably like my favorite thing about that Teacher Appreciation Day. Um, the kids were able, all the, the teachers and staff of the school were um, led in a devotional by one of our team members. And so when he was done, the kids went up and got teachers and staff and like went out wherever they wanted and just prayed over them. And so to see those kids just like take it upon themselves to pray and love on their teachers was like... I don't know about y'all, but I don't see that here ever. So, and teachers, y'all, y'all got it pretty rough. So, I mean, I'm thankful for y'all. <laughs> okay, and then they, the kids got to serve them a meal. Like, the day was catered. It was so nice. Um, so, the, the kids, I think it was good for them to be able to serve their teachers and love on them for all they do because the teachers don't get paid hardly anything. So... Oh, and that was um, just some of the teachers getting food bags and certificates. And um, that was a big moment, too, when the teachers received those food bags. They just, you would have thought someone won, like, a million dollars. They were, it was loud and crazy in there. It was so, it was so sweet. Okay, and so um, with 127, their motto is go speak, invest, empower. Um, 
so for you know for some it's go you just go you do um speak um speak on behalf of every place like i'm speaking on behalf of tumani right now um because we want we want people to know what's going on um whether it is at tumani or acres of hope or i know there's a place in uh Guatemala that they've teamed up with to um, invest, whether that's through prayer, time, money, whatever. Um, that's a big deal. And empower. We want to empower these people to just live godly lives and to just love Jesus. So um, that's what we're trying to do. Um, I also want to say, too, like my life group knows a lot about this. Um, like last little spiel. I really struggled with fear before I left. Like it had been six years so, since I went to Tumaini, and I let a lot of fear and um, doubt keep me from going back because I was just terrified of getting back on a plane for a long time. And um, at some points, wasn't even excited about going back. And then finally, like, like I got on the plane. I made it. I'm fine. The Lord is good. <laughs> um, and I'm so thankful that he, he let me go and allowed me to see what I saw and hear. And it was just wonderful. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, you know, I say that to say if any of y'all are like, you know, God is like, stirring something in your heart and you're like but I'm scared like I get it I get it but um just just do it because <laughs> I wouldn't have be able to share this if I hadn't gone so thank y'all <laughs> uh, man God is good he's faithful uh, I wanted to share something before we before we move forward uh, this morning before Will comes to share the message for today we were uh, this past week the Lord's really been dealing with me. I don't know how many of you read Tozer's Leadership Devotional every day, but that's a, it's a really good devotional to read if you don't read it. But he kind of jumped on evangelism again, which last year uh, he, he started hitting. It's, you know, it's an annual thing, so he started hitting it last year when God was calling me to, calling us to begin to, to as a community, you know, focus more on reaching out. And, you know, a lot of what's happened since then has been we have been Asking the Lord, what do we do now? Uh, this past week, I sent a devotion to all the live groups. I hope you got that. I hope you read it. Uh, you know, I don't send those things randomly. And uh, I just want to encourage you, if you ever see something on, on our Facebook page, particularly if I send it to your live group, then, then I'm really feeling like the Lord wants you to read it. Uh, so I just want to share just real quickly in, to introduce again what Will's going to speak on this morning. Y'all with me? All right, listen. The question that I feel like the Lord put in my heart this week, uh, he was talking about, Tozer was talking about people walking in darkness. You know, people all around us, they're walking in darkness and they're looking for light. You know, they're looking for something, something to hold on to, something that makes life worth living, a purpose to live for, uh, you know, something that gives them hope. Uh, and and it's, that, that's, there's, there's nothing out there. Even religion has let them down. And most people are not even looking the way of churches anymore, right? We know that. And so it's just the, you know, not, not the heaviness of, the, of that burden, but the urgency of the burden of us being the light. You know, we, we have an incredible gift 
that God has given us, the, the gift of his grace, of the gospel, you know, the salvation, obviously, in a relationship with him that's personal and real, and him guiding our lives and providing for us and us learning by experience how good that is and a deep joy and contentment that comes from that. We have that. And this morning, I don't know if y'all read it this morning, but this morning, man, I was just, you know, I was debating whether I should even say anything, but this morning he talked about, you know, if there was a, a, a forest fire or there was a flood, you know, we're familiar with floods. If we were in New Orleans and there was a flood and it was rising, we wouldn't just take off and leave our neighbors sitting in, the, in their houses to die. We would all work together to get everybody out because of the urgency of that. And there's a sense in which we need to feel that. I share with the worship team this morning, you know, I, don't, I, I know that God doesn't want us to feel guilty and hurry up and go start talking to people and sharing the gospel randomly y'all with me there's a there is a way that God has given us to share his gospel it's by the leadership of his Holy Spirit when he appoints us those moments and when he opens our eyes to see someone around us who needs him and he's opening their heart already to receive what we have to say it's all about him he does it all but he is going before us and the question I ask this week to all of us is is this going to be the year is this going to be the year where we actually take seriously our own personal intimacy with God enough to be asking God every day, who do you have? And where is that person? Who, who are they in, the, in my workplace? Because we're going back to school this week. Who is it? What teacher? What students? You know, what parents? What people that I work around? What waiter that waits on me? What, you know, uh, coffee shop person? Whatever. You know, who, who is the person? Because we, we're talking about it all the time. What's the series that we're in right now? Joining God to set people free. Did, do y'all remember that we're even talking about that? I mean, do you remember that we're talking about setting people free from bondage to sin and to legalism? That's what we're talking about. And so let's get it on our minds. But man, let's let this be the year where it gets past our minds. Y'all with me? Because we've been, look, we've been, we've been talking and talking and talking and saying the same things. And, and so I, mean, I just want to encourage you in that. The Lord really put that on my heart to just wake us up today before we hear the sermon, okay? So I'm, I'm on behalf of Will and the Holy Spirit, I'm laying it out there, okay, for us to just say, let's, let's, let's get it done this year, okay? Let's really get our evangelism on, okay? Let's join, the, join God and setting people free. Okay, well. Thank you, Glenn. All right, if you're looking at your watch and you're nervous, we're going to be all right, I promise. Okay? Um, man, I, I appreciate that, Glenn. I, you know, I love that about our church. When, when anybody, not just, not just an elder, but if any of you guys feel like you have a word from the Lord, please share it. Um, thank you, Katie, this morning for your testimony. Last week was incredible. If you weren't here last week, the whole Sunday was just testimonies from our people that went to... Uh, Romania, with the exception of Rachel Austin, she wasn't here. Um, but uh, if you haven't, if you didn't get the chance to listen to that, please go back. It's on the podcast. Go listen to that. Uh, it'll it'll certainly bless you. So uh, not last week because we had testimonies, but two weeks before that, we we started in Exodus chapter twenty, and I shared with you guys how um, I was struggling with do we even go into that, and and because we had been in the narrative of Exodus prior to that, and so I was just praying and pursuing the Lord. Uh, God spoke again through Glenn and said, "Yes, we definitely need to to look into the law," and so. 
you know, as we're talking about joining God to set people free, as we, when we're in the narrative, for me, that's easy. Pulling that out, pulling the application out of a narrative is very simple. But when we get to the law, it kind of made me take a step back and relook and re-examine how it is that we're to pull application of joining God to set people free. And one of the things that the, the Holy Spirit really revealed to me this week is, you know, when, when God's giving Moses these commandments, he's not giving these commandments uh, to Moses to simply give to Israel. He's also giving these commandments to Moses. So obviously the first application is for us in our own lives. And we're going to look at that today. We looked at that last week. And so we need to process these, these, these things internally. But one of the ways that we utilize this to help people to, to, to be set free is from our biblical culture, from our southern culture, you know, these Ten Commandments are posted everywhere. And people see these things as a checklist. And one of the ways that God is going to utilize us is for us to help them to see this through the lens of grace. To see that this is not just a checklist of things that we should do, but these are the ways in which God is trying to restore our relationship. And he's using these commandments in order to get us to the place where we need to be. But he does that through the work of the Holy Spirit, not just us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps trying to make something happen. So, last week we looked at the first commandments commandment where God says have no other gods before me and we looked at how as God is claiming Israel as his own as he's setting them free from Egypt as he delivers them from slavery that he is putting his identification on them and 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 in return Israel is also receiving his when you think of Israel you immediately think of God and when people thought of God they immediately thought of Israel and they're synonymous we talked about how for us as believers when we claim the name of Christ that the same identity is coming upon us and so how how we interact with the people in our lives helps communicate to them the character of God. One of the devotions I read this morning talked about how our obedience is how God's character is revealed not only to us but to the people around us. And so it's really important that we stay focused on understanding who God is, spending time with Him, with him daily, and being vigilant in that pursuit. Okay? And then as we dug into that first commandment that we should have no other gods before Him we saw that, that God is setting himself apart from cultural norms and that um, the instruction to worship him only is also to set Israel apart from all of the other people that lived around them. God is saying, I am not like all these other gods, little g. I am the God, and the way that you interact with me is different from the way anyone else interacts with their gods. Okay, So God, again, is sharing his identity that he is the only God and they're his people. So today we're going to move into the second commandment. We're only going to do that one today. And we're going to see how this is an extension of the first. And that some of these ideas that are developed um, are going to help us to understand why it's important that we worship God alone. Okay? So today we're going to look at Exodus 20. We're going to just do verses 4 through 6. So uh, it'll be up on the screen or you can read with me. Um, if you'd like an outline, there's a few back there in the back table. Or there's one on the Faith Life app, whichever you prefer. Okay? So verse 4, Exodus chapter 20. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. So today my goal is I want to I break down these few verses okay, into, into two different main points, all right, and I want us to see both God's intention behind them also, but also I want us to, to understand what this means for our call to join God to set people free, so point number one today, one of two, 
is that God wants to be known by who he is, not his image. Okay? God wants to be known by who he is and not his image. God is, is wanting to, to be known by his action. Okay? And, and for us, that seems like a pretty straightforward idea. But consider for a moment our culture. Think about, we live in this world of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, right? And, and think about how obsessed people are with other people's perception of them. Think about, I always laugh at the, the Instagram boyfriends, okay? Every now and then my wife tries to make me be an Instagram husband, and I do it because I like living. I'm just kidding. But our culture, our culture is obsessed with what the way people view us, and so we spend enormous amounts of time trying to set up the perfect photo so that we can capture that and put it on social media so people can look at us and go, wow, look how happy they are. Look how incredible their life is, okay? We, we, that is in us, right? We put way more value on the an appearance of a thing or a person than we actually give the thing. Like, it doesn't make sense to me that someone would spend more time photographing their food than they do eating their food, right? Your food's cold by the time you get done taking pictures, but that's just how our culture is. Think about this. Adam and Eve, as soon as they sin, were concerned with what? Their appearance. They were naked. God knows it is in our flesh, it is in our sin nature that if given the opportunity, we're going to focus on what is on the outside. This is a deep-rooted issue that causes all of us to obsess over what something looks like. And this is exactly what God is trying to help us to avoid. God did not appear in a form when he revealed himself on Mount Sinai. If you remember the story, we looked at it, and we're going to look at it again. We looked at it in the previous verse. But, but God sets up this barrier around the mountain and these, these clouds come down and there's thunder and there's lightning. But God himself did not show up in an image. And the reason he didn't do that is because he knows our flesh, and our flesh nature and if allowed to, we're going to put that form, that image of God in the place of God. Look at what Moses says in his final sermon before he sets Israel out to go into the promised land, which he's not allowed to go because of his sin. Look at me with De- for just a second in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites. This is his last chance to communicate to them before he dies and Israel crosses the Jordan River into the promised land. He says, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that I spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Look, God knows us and he's saying to Israel and he's saying to us be careful watch yourselves there is a reason that I didn't show you my form when we were there God wants us to have a relationship with him not an image of him he goes on to say in verse 16 through 19 he says beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female the likeness of any man, animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven. You be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. We're born with a sin nature, and even as we become believe, when we become believers, we still have a flesh, and there's this constant battle. We've been given all the tools, all the resources to, to be successful in conquering through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But, but the Lord knows. He knows that that sin nature is in us. We, he knows that we're born with it. And He is setting us up for success through this commandment rather than failure. By not giving us an image and by telling us don't make an image, he is, it's like the, the last night we're, I'm cooking supper and, and Charlie, uh, or I'm making popcorn on the stove. Uh, that's a thing people do. Um, and Charlie, my three-year-old who just got up from a nap, who's cranky, wants some popcorn so bad and she tries to reach up and grab the stove. And as any, anybody that's ever been around a toddler knows you grab her. And, and so I scolded her and Bethany scolded her at the same time and she fell apart. We didn't do that because we, we were mad at her. We did it because we didn't want her to hurt herself. And this is the same emotion that God has for us. When he says, don't make an idol of me, it's because he knows us. He knows that if given the opportunity, we will choose to objectify whatever is in front of us because that's easier than allowing God to develop faith in us. Think about that for a moment. He knows we will choose to objectify whatever is in front of us. Look, we... In our, in our current context, we're familiar with the word objectification, right? Everybody knows the, the, the emotions that come around that. There's a lot of negative connotations that accompany that word. But look, by idolizing ourselves, another person, or a thing, that's exactly what we're doing. We're making that the object of our worship, the object of our attention. And, and the danger that's in that is that we put that thing in the place in our hearts and our minds where God should be. And we let that become our God. Another danger in identifying that object with who God is is that we begin to believe that this, His presence is only in that object. That thing that we have, have put all our focus on, that that's where God lives. God wants us to understand that His, His presence isn't localized. It doesn't live in one place. Creating an image, God implies that he is only in that place. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. This is, it says this, and I'll explain it. It says, and when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So in this passage, Israel goes into battle with the Philistines, they are defeated, and in response, the elders, the ones who are supposed to be leading, say, look, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant, because if the Ark is here, the Lord will be with us, because He's in this Ark, and we will be victorious. So they go and they get the Ark, and they bring it into battle, and guess what? They lose. Not only do they lose, but the Ark is taken from them by the Philistines. Because in their minds, this object that they had made sacred became for them the presence of God. And they thought, if we bring the ark, God will be here and we'll be victorious because he is with us. They didn't say, hey God, how do we need to handle this? Why did we lose today? What do we need to do differently? They just said, let's go get this thing and bring it with us. And they were defeated. The result of their misstep is that the ark is captured. And Israel fell into the trap that thinking that they could count on an object to save them instead of just asking God for that. They have this whole history of the Lord bringing them through battles, of delivering them without even a battle having to happen. But instead of leaning on Him, they fell into this trap of thinking that, that this, this ark, that's enough, right? And we fall into the same trap. We think a lot of times we talk in terms of the church as if this is the place, this building is the place that God lives. And you may not think that for you that that's particularly true, but 
True, but consider this. Think about how, and you can, you can make this application for yourself or you can make it for someone else. I'll give you permission to do that. But think about how people act when they, found, when they find out that, um, or how they act differently when they go to church with you than when they live life normally. Do they act differently? Most of the time, yes. I can say this from my perspective. I don't, you guys know, I, I don't advertise typically that I'm a pastor. I just, I just don't make a practice of that because that's not, it's not who I am, okay? I work a secular job. I, am, I meet new people every day. It's what I do for a living. And it's so interesting to me how I'll have a relationship with someone that I've developed slowly over the course of however long. And one day in the course of conversation, it comes up that I'm a pastor and immediately they're a different person. Or they go, oh my gosh, I should have been watching my mouth this whole time. And my response to them is always, don't change who you are because of me. You be you, right? I don't want people to be fake in front of me. But in our culture, it's unacceptable to act certain ways around certain people or certain places because the perception is is that God is in that place and they don't want to be that way around God. It's the way our brains are wired, okay? And it's, it's true in their culture and it's true in our culture. Russ shared with me this, this last, or two weeks ago this, this video, this lady from a center who's talking about how um, in Mesopotamia they had this very particular way that they made idols, okay? And I want you to hear this and I want you to consider how, how crazy it is, but then we're going to look at ourselves for just a second, okay? So the people of Mesopotamia, that region, would decide that they wanted to make a new idol, a new image for them to worship. So what they would do is they would go out and select the very best craftsmen. Whoever that was the best, whatever, you know, if they wanted out of gold or silver or whatever, they'd go get whoever was the best at that. They would hire them. They would make an image, and they'd go, oh, wow, look how great this is. And they'd all come over here to the garden. They had a sacred garden. They'd put it in the sacred garden, put it to bed, and they'd all go home for the night. And the next morning, they'd all get up, and they'd all go back to the garden, and they'd go, look what our gods have given us to worship. And then they would go back to town, and they'd bring the idol with them, and they'd show them to everybody. And then all the tools and molds that were made, they would gather them up, put them in the carcass of a sheep, and throw it in the river because they didn't want anybody to know. And then they'd cut the hands off the craftsmen so they could go, I don't have any hands, I couldn't, couldn't have been me. Look, the reason they did all that is because they knew deep down inside that if a man created it, it's not a God. Man doesn't create God. God creates man. And they went through all those steps to try to, to separate themselves and say, no, this is a God. We couldn't have done it. Look, I don't have any hands. Look, mine no hands. Look, we do the same thing. We try to create things in front of us and, or, or we, we take something that's already created and that's why God is going through all this. So don't take anything from the heavens. Don't take anything from the earth. Don't take anything from under the sea. He's saying, don't take these things that I created and make them something that they're not. And when we take all of our time and our attention and our focus and we put it on one thing, we're taking this thing that God created and we're making it, we're putting it in a place that it shouldn't be. By not allowing Israel to make images of himself, he's taking away any opportunity for anyone to be able to say, that's not God. He doesn't want an image made of himself. You know why? He already made it. We are made in God's image. And we're all vastly different. God didn't create a bunch of clones. If, if our value was in how we looked, we'd all look exactly the same, right? Because we'd have been perfect the way God created us to. But he didn't do that. He made us all different. And all of that speaks to the character and the personality and the creativity of this God that we serve. Second point I want to make today. 
God is righteously jealous. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but being jealous doesn't seem, sound righteous to me, right? And, and the reason for that is because I didn't know all the definitions of jealous, just to be honest with you. You know how we learn things a lot of times just through kind of context, right? I probably never looked up the word before, but through the context of my life, anytime someone was, was being jealous or was described as jealous, it was always with a negative connotation, okay? One of the definitions of that, the one that I always thought of, is a person who's, who's disposed who is always looking for a reason to be jealous. And that is a very negative thing, okay? But it can also mean that they are intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. Intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. That's how this word is used in the context of our passage. God's not looking for us. He's not, I always think of, when I think of God in these terms, I always think of like the kid from the ant bully, if anybody's ever seen that before. Anybody seen that movie, Ants? The ant bully? I don't know, it's one of those names. Anyway, Anna's got, yeah, yeah, I got it, okay. This kid who's always beating up on the ants, like trying to burn them with a magnifying glass and stuff, that's, that's not how God interacts with us. But in our minds, especially like for me growing up, I always felt like God was waiting to pounce on me, waiting for me to make a mistake so he could jump on me and get me. But that's not how God views us. God is, is not disposed, he's not suspecting that we're gonna be unfaithful. He's just intolerant of it. He doesn't want it to happen. God's intolerant of us creating anything that we can worship in his place. Creating and worshiping idols breaks the covenant that God has established with us. And we can think of this in terms of a marriage. That's why God gave us the union of marriage. But if two people are married and one leaves and cheats on the other, there is a righteous jealousy that happens in the context of that relationship. I can thankfully say my wife's never cheated on me. Thanks, Beth. Appreciate it, babe. Okay? But I dated a girl in high school. Okay, we're going to go back to some high school drama for just a minute, even though I don't like it. Okay, I was a senior in high school. I was dating this little girl. She was a cheerleader. She was very attractive. We dated for a couple of months, and then a very good friend of mine who I trusted and knew well said, hey, I went on this trip. It was a class trip. This class went on, and she cheated on you while we were gone. And it broke me. I'm telling you, like, high school will was broken, and I was angry, and I was mad. And if you've ever been cheated on, you understand that. But all of those feelings were legitimate. And they weren't negative in terms of I just wanted to be upset with her. I just was upset because we had a commitment to one another. Even though it's just a high school relationship. I know that's not a big deal. There still was some level of commitment. There was an expectation there, right? And she broke that, okay? And I haven't talked about that story in a long time. But as I'm thinking through this this idea of jealousy, the Lord brought that to mind. Because I was angry. And I I was broken, by her actions, and I dropped her like a bag of hammers. Moved on with life, okay? But listen, when we take something that God created and we put it in his place, those feelings of anger, those feelings of brokenness, those feelings of heartbreak is what God feels because he created us to be in relationship with him, and and that is the level of commitment that he expects from us and that he gives us. One of the commentaries I read this week by a guy named R.A. Cole said this. It'll be up on the screen. Like love and hate in the Old Testament, jealousy does not refer to an emotion so much as an activity. In this case, an activity of violence and vehemence that springs up from the rupture of a personal bond as exclusive as that in the marriage bond. This is not, therefore, to be seen as intolerance but exclusiveness, and it springs both from the uniqueness of God, who is not one among many, 
and the uniqueness of his relationship to Israel. No husband who truly loved his wife could endure to share her with another man. No more will God share Israel with a rival. But God is saying that he will not allow us to share the same affection that we have for him with someone else. And we need to understand that when we think of God's righteous jealousy, that he is acting out of pure love and joy. God's response to our breaking of the covenant is a serious issue, and there are real consequences. Now, living on this side of the cross, on this side of the grace, we, we, when we hear people talk about consequences and seriousness of issues, immediately our mind may go to a particular place. So, but let me just pause for a moment, and let me, let me get us focused. Everybody with me, I want you to hear this, because if, if you're not listening, you may hear something other than what I'm saying. Last week, uh, I had lunch with somebody this week and said, hey, you made a statement, and I want to ask you about this because I'm not sure if I agree with you. And the statement that I made is that we are motivated by God's grace. And I want to help you understand in case anyone else misunderstood me. The, the person that I was meeting was saying that as, as this person grew up going through church culture, that often pastors or youth pastors or preachers, well-meaning, had great intention, would try to motivate them by saying, God has done all of this, Therefore, you are required to reciprocate and do all this. A quid pro quo, if you will. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't ever do something out of obligation. When, God, when we talk about being motivated by grace, when God talks about us moving in action, it's not because we're supposed to or because we feel obligated to or because someone told us to. We only move out of love and never out of duty. So when we talk about being motivated by grace, that's what we mean, that we are acting out of the overflow of what God is doing in our lives. So in terms of there being consequences for our disobedience, I want to explain what I mean by that, okay? The reason, remember, the reason that God gave Israel these commandments was to show them the sin in their lives and to say, this is the baseline. In order to have a relationship with me, this is the baseline of what has to happen in order for you to be in the presence of a holy God, okay? He's saying that if we choose to put something or someone else in his place, it's not going to go well for us. And it's not because he's going to smack us. It's because we are walking away from him. And, and I want to help, I'm going to tell you a little story to try to help you understand what I'm saying by this. Most, if, some of you, not most of you, some of you in this room know my cousin Eddie. A few of you have met him, okay? Let me tell you about Eddie. Uh, Eddie has always been about twice my size, and he's a redhead, okay? So he's a, he was a big dude, redheaded, they can ginger snap. It just happens, okay? So Eddie and I, especially in junior high and high school, were, were a team. He, he and I were born seven days apart, and so we really were first cousins, but we grew up like brothers. And during junior high and high school, old Will was a scrawny little fart, okay? When I graduated high school, I barely weighed 100 pounds, okay? So here we had big Eddie, ginger snap, and then you had little Will. But here's what people knew. Because of our relationship with one another, if you messed with Eddie, or you've messed with Will, you were going to have to deal with Eddie. Now, I don't know, I, to my knowledge, Eddie was never in a fight ever in his life because he just kind of had that air about him. Like, you don't mess with a guy that size, right? You guys, you have someone in your mind that you're thinking of that's like that. And so by being in his proximity all the time, by being in a relationship with Eddie, I didn't have to worry about bullies growing up. It was fantastic. Now, at some point in my life, if I had decided to just walk away from that relationship, I lose all the benefits of it, right? And now instead of having this big guy next to me, it's just scrawny Will by himself. 
But when we choose to disobey God, when he gives us a clear word, and we say, you know what, I don't want to do that, and we walk away from we lose the benefit of that relationship. And we have to live in the consequences of that. It's not that God's out there just trying to get us so he can discipline us. It's that God is saying, I am putting these parameters in your life because I love you, because I want to protect you. I want you to have the best life possible. And so here's the fence. Don't go past this boundary. Don't put your hand on the stove. It's because he loves us. And when we choose to put something else in God's place, we are walking away from all that God brings to the relationship. Now I want to address a statement that he makes in verse, uh, I think it's 5, where he talks about he's going to, to, um, let me read it so I don't misquote it. Hold on. All the way up here to the top. Middle of verse 5, he said, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Let me clarify what God's saying. Let me, or not clarify, let me explain to you what God is saying. Because if you just read that and you don't process it, if you don't look at it through the lens of grace, if we don't look at it through the lens of who Jesus was, what we, would, what we will read is if I make a mistake, God's not only going to punish me, but he's going to punish my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And that's not what God is saying. What God is saying is that if you disobey, there's going to be consequences in your life. You're going to have to live in that disobedience. And as a result, your children are also going to have to live under the results, the consequences of that disobedience. I'm going to tell you a story today. It's a, I'm, going to, I'm going to be a little bit long-winded on it. Okay, I'm not going to be a little bit long-winded on it. Because I want, to, I want you to, again, I want you to understand what God's trying to communicate here. So um, this is a story that Aaron and I share together, and I asked his permission before I shared this story because it's, I'm going to talk. Uh, he disobeyed God, and I'm going to tell you about that, okay? So when I worked for Aaron, a lot of you know that I worked for Aaron for about three years. He owned a big farm out in Boyce, and so um, I got to be a cowboy. I grew up riding horses. I grew up roping cows. I love it, okay? One day, uh, it's getting close to breeding season. When it's breeding season, you need a bull, okay? If you didn't know that, now you know. So... Aaron goes to Texas to buy a bull. He and, and he and his wife went, and they spent about two hours on this farm looking at bulls and talking about bulls, and they found one that, man, he really liked the way the bull looked. And, and the way a bull looks tells you a lot about what kind of kids he's going to have. They also have a thing called EPDs, which is some genetic markers that tells you what the expected progeny is going to look like, how it's going to perform. So you look at the way a bull looks, you look at their EPDs, you pick out the best you can afford. That's how it works, okay? So Aaron goes... He spends two hours with this guy looking at this bull, and the bull is just, oh my gosh, like it's one of the best looking bulls I've ever seen in my life. Looked phenomenal, okay? So Aaron decides I'm going to buy this bull, and he goes to write the check, and in the middle of writing the check, he got a check from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit checked him up. We, uh, that's the word that he and I use. The Holy Spirit said, don't buy the bull. We say it that way. And he explained it away. He, had, he explained it away because he had just spent so much time with this guy. They had driven so far and he didn't want this guy to be disappointed in the fact that he didn't buy the bull. Have any of you ever been in a salesman position? You have somebody in your office, in your area for two hours, and then they're like, never mind, I don't want to buy it. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a good feeling for a salesman, okay? Because you just wasted two hours of their day. And he didn't want that guy to feel this way. So he buys the bull, he brings it home, and he unloads the bull. I'm none the wiser, okay? So Monday morning, I get to the farm. And one of the things you do when you get a new animal on the farm is you pin them up and you vaccinate them and you check them out and you have the vet look at them. 
So that's what I did. Me and my guys went down to the, to the catch pen where the bull was, and we tried to get him in the squeeze chute, which is the thing that squeezes the cow so they can't hurt you and you can do what you need to do to them. We go in there to catch the bull, and the bull just jumps over a six-foot fence like he's a deer, just out into the pasture. So me, being who I am, loving it, was like, saddle up, boys, time to go to work. Put my hat on, get my horse saddle on there. I almost brought the hat for a visual today, but I decided not to do it. So we load up, me and, me and my guys, and we get on our horses, and we go out to try to catch this bull. Now, I'm riding a cutting horse. If you don't know what that is, I'll explain it later, but they're really good at herding cattle. That's what they do. It's what this horse is trained for. She's phenomenal. Every time I try to move this bull back towards the catch pen, he charges at the horse. Well, the horse is not a dummy, so she, whoo, let me get out of here, okay? So we do this for a couple of hours, and it becomes very obvious that we're not going to be able to herd this bull back to the catch pen. So, being a cowboy that I am, let me get my rope out. So I rope this bull, I dally off to the horn, and, and we spend another couple of hours doing this dance. The bull weighs probably more than 2,000 pounds, probably twice outweighed my horse. And the, I dally off, and I try to pull the bull towards the catch pen, and the bull would go, no. And so I would ride back towards the bull to entice him, and he would chase me, and then I'd run away, and we'd get a little bit closer to the pen. Well, it didn't take long, and the bull figured out what the game was. And so then he just wouldn't budge at all. So I would pull to the side and try to knock him off balance and try to get a couple of feet out of him. We did this until my horse literally couldn't hardly stand anymore. And so one of the guys that's with me says, hey, I, I said, let me swap horses. He's like, no, 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 just hand me the rope. I can do it. And I was like, no, no. And he's like, no, no, I can do it. So I hand him the rope. And within just a few seconds of that slack being on the bull, the bull charges. He makes a couple of rounds around the other guy. And I have to jump off and cut the rope in half. And now we've lost the bull. And so... We go get another rope, and we rope the bull. This time, we tie him off to a tractor. We go get an, a, the stock trailer. Long story short, we drug this bull into the trailer with a tractor that outweighed him, okay? Now, the application from that story. I didn't buy the bull. I didn't get a word from the Lord. Aaron did. But guess who had to deal with the consequences of the disobedience? I did. Now, Aaron and I have talked about this a lot, and we're cool. Like, this is just... We learn, right? Okay? And we were talking about it the other day. I was on the road, and we were talking about it on the phone. He's like, man, you shouldn't have done that. I said, why? He's like, you could have got hurt. I was like, everybody wants to be a cowboy until it's time to do cowboy stuff. <laughs> Just saying. Now, I'm not saying that to make myself the hero. I'm saying this to say that I'm an idiot. You all already know that. And I'll do, do stupid stuff because it's fun. But here's the point. Aaron made it a decision to disobey God. And, and I had to deal with it. And that's what God's communicating through this passage. He's not saying, I'm going to punish everybody just because you made a mistake. He's saying, there's going to be consequences to your action. And the people that are in your life are going to have to deal with those consequences along with you. Look, when Israel sends its spies, we're going to get to this later, but I'm going to give you a little precursor now. When Israel sends its spies into the promised land to spy it out under God's direction, and they come back, and some of the men report that there's these giants, that there's no way we could ever conquer them, and all of Israel decides we're not going. They had to spend 40 years wandering in the desert waiting for a generation to die off when they could have made an 11-day trip and it had been over. The women and the children and the young men in that group didn't make that decision. The older men did, but they all had to live with the consequences. So for us today, as we're looking at this second commandment about, about not making idols, look, your mind and my mind might go to little handmade sculptures, but that, for us in our culture, we're not struggling with that, right? Unless somebody's got a little backyard shop I don't know about. That's not our struggle. Our struggle is taking, for me, my struggle is technology. I love it. And I have a tendency to take things that God created that can be useful and make it more than it needs to be.
It can have too much influence in my life. I can make it much bigger deal than it's supposed to be. For you and I, if we're going to be a, a people that's calling God or called by God to join Him to set people free, we got to make sure that we got the right things in the right place in our lives. Because we, I've shared this before, we can't lead somebody where we haven't gone ourselves. We cannot say to somebody, hey, look, you got this thing in your life that you need to get rid of because they're going to look at us and go, well, what about this thing in your life? You're doing the same thing just with something else. The way we interact with God, the way we do life with God, like the devotion I shared a while ago, is, is communicating to the people around us the truth about who God is. So, We've said a lot today. I'm wrapping up, I promise, okay? God loves us dearly, and he is doing all the work to restore our relationship with him. And he's giving us these commandments to just set some limits and say, I, this is where I need you to be. The purpose of these commandments is to show us what, is going on, what it's going to take to get us there. It's to reveal to us the areas in our lives where we're not living up to the, the need for us to be holy. And the Holy Spirit has to do that in us. We can't, God, through the Holy Spirit, reveals the sin, and then he gives us the power and the will to even take care of it. He's doing all the work. He's just using this to communicate all of that work to us. He knows that if left to our own devices, we're going to look around us, and we're going to try to be like everybody else in our lives. And he's saying, don't, don't do that. You're not like everybody else. I created you to be you. He wants us to desire him, not something that was created in his image, not something that was created by him for our pleasure. God is setting us up to succeed by showing us where we're going to mess up and then saying, by the way, you're going to mess up here and also I'm going to take care of it. We need to, when we look at this scripture, when we talk about this scripture in life group with people that maybe understand or don't understand, we need to be looking at this through the lens of grace and saying, yes, these are the standards that God set for us. But we cannot do it. The Holy Spirit must do it through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word today. Lord, I, I ask that for each and every person, especially myself, Lord, that you would reveal the things, the areas, the people in our lives that we are objectifying, the things that we are putting in the place where you should be. God, as we pursue you this week, I ask that you would give us a renewed passion for sharing who you are. That as we go back to school and go back to work and, and, and get ready to, to kind of get back in the daily grind, that, Father, a part of that would be our daily time with you and pursuing you in such a way that when you speak, when you call us, when you prompt those conversations, that not only are we aware, but we're ready because we know you. We're ready because we've been in your word and we are confident of what you're going to speak through us. God, thank you for your love and thank you for, for providing not only the boundaries but also the resources in order to meet us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.